And this is all part of the crew. Constable Crab, Constable Crab and Sergeant Gill. <laughs> Constable Crab. <laughs> Constable Crab. Constable Crab? Does he live with SpongeBob? <laughs> and have Krabby Patties? It is hard to say. Constable Crab. Okay. Who's kind of crabby, too. Starting again. Constable Crab. As soon as Troy gets promoted, everybody's nasty to him. Including Sergeant Gill. Yeah, and Constable Crab. <laughs> and Sergeant SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> yes. And Patrick. Hey, Maniacs! It's Midsummer Maniacs. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. And this is a special Valentine's Day Midsummer Maniac recording session. Ooh la la. Episode 29. Did you bring me some flowers from the all-night gas station? I did indeed bring you some flowers from the (laughs) all-night gas station. We'll get there. People don't understand. You and I, in front of our mics... No kids in the house. There are no children. We're going to order some Indian delivery. That is a romantic night. And we're us. naked. No. Oh. Well, I'm naked. <laughs> they can imagine that if they okay. want to. It's okay. up to them. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> what episode is this? This is episode 29, season 7, episode 1, The Green Man. And even though it's the first episode of a new season, it it's is the last Troy The episode. last Troy episode. We're going to have a little tribute to Troy at the end of this A little episode. tribute to Troy. Lots of yep. people send us their favorite Troy moments. Yes. So Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies. And everything else we love. That's right. Including Cully having yet another job. Yet another job. Just a little warning off the top. If the show is too much for your kids, the podcast probably is too. But if you're listening into this this far, I think you're probably going to listen on. There's really just rumpy pumpy in this episode. I got to tell you, I've looked at our demographics. I'm not really worried about children watching me, <laughs> listening to these episodes. How do you know? There might be a parent out there driving their kid to school in the morning. They put on the Midsummer Maniac podcast on the way to school. Could the be. kid's really interesting Could at be. school. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. What's rumpy pumpy mean? Where did you hear that? Podcast. Our children look at us like, who are you people? Nah. That, that we can't do anything or, to shock them Or haven't anymore. you seen this episode before? Yes. Yes, we have. But we have to watch it three times this week. Though, I will say, there was a moment in this episode that made one of our children cry. Yes, it did. Like, this week when we were re-watching it again. Yes. Well, there's sad parts to this episode. There are. Let's get into it. It was filmed in May and June of 2003 and broadcast on the 2nd of November 2003 to 10.01 million people. Directed by Sarah Hellings and written by Michael Russell. And it takes place in Midsummer Worthy. Mm-hmm. And the pub, which is the exactly named pub, it's not even the aptly named pub, is the Green Man. How many pubs in Britain alone 
do you think are called the green man? Guess. I know I went to at least one when I was in England the first time because I may have been a little obsessed with green man stuff at that point in time. You might think by my question that there is more than one. Yes. How many do you think there are? I'm guessing one now. Way more than one. Okay, okay. Okay? Okay. (laughs) I got confused. Give me an actual guess. 74. 206. 206? There's not that many villages in England. There are over 20 in London. I wonder what the two closest green men pubs are. Probably the ones in London. Yeah. Is it I can a, look. But it's not a franchise. Those are all no, no. independently owned green man Yeah, pubs. I mean, they might be owned by, there might be a couple that are owned by the same brewery or something. It's like but, Elephant and, and Castle. Yeah. I'm but, sure there's lots of those. But, but I would think that a brewery owned pub, they wouldn't want more than one with the same name. Because that would be confusing. Yes. There's a great website. We'll post a link to it. This guy, he's doing, he's actually doing uh, Robin Hood research. Oh, okay. And one of the things that he looked into was the Green Men reference in Robin Hood. And then he got curious about how many pubs were called the Green Man. And he made a list. And that's for his website, Robin's Hoodlumps. (laughs) It's complete with like GPS coordinates for every one of them. Wow. It's incredible. That's more nerdy than we are. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. 206. 206. But I think there were a couple counties he hadn't surveyed yet, so probably more. Oh, jeez. Anyway, so we start out with uh, Cully's got yet another job, though this is a volunteer job. Yeah. You think she got paid for the library mobile? I think she got paid for yeah. the library mobile. But this one, she's volunteering. And certainly as a travel agent, she got that bonus for sending her parents to Africa. <laughs> yeah, I think she got a cut. Yeah. She's doing PR for a guy named Webster. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, what? There's a headband we need to talk about here. Okay. It's horrible. Lay the headband on me. Cully's headband. Well, It's egregious. First of all, it's six inches wide. She's got to keep her hair out of her face. Uh, So this is what happens when, when you get your hair cut short, whether you're a man or a woman, you get your hair cut short. She had that cute little pixie cut. And then you're going to grow it out. You you have these weird phases while your hair is growing where you have to just tame it. You have just have to control it until it gets past that phase. This is the weird Cully season. Yeah. Because the, nep- the next episode has her and her high school friends, that episode. Oh, that one creeps me out. I it's, don't know why it gives me the heebies. Creepy, creepy, creepy. But she's doing PR. Yep. For a tunnel. Well, it's for a canal rebuilding. For Tim Webster. Yes who uh, hopes to get a knighthood by um, excavating this tunnel. He's trying to get national attention. It's a canal tunnel. For his contour canal. Yes. That follows the contours of of like a hill or a mountain. Mm -hmm. Which was an alternative to uh, cutting cutting through the mountain to make a, a place for the canal. Yeah. Right, which would have been a lot more labor intensive. Exactly. So she's doing PR, and of course... Joyce is going to get involved. Well, Joyce gets more than involved. She gets caved in on, literally. (laughs) That's the one thing about this episode that I always remember. I can forget some of the character names, but I always remember how genuinely upset Tom is. Like like I was saying with the last episode, there wasn't the emotion that this episode has. Yeah. This has so much more emotion in it. Like, I... 
I am upset on his behalf. I don't really care how long Joyce stays in the in the tunnel, but I don't want Tom to be so sad. So they're clearing <laughs> stuff out of the tunnel. Mm. Okay, is there's no reason given for the collapse of no. the tunnel. And he's supposedly, Webster's supposedly an engineer. Right. So, so he should know better. He should know better. But, you know, he doesn't know about all the bodies in there either. No. So. So we don't know what happens with Joyce here. Joyce may bite it here. Right. <laughs> she might die. Well, we, and, we, we do know that she doesn't. Well, of course we don't. We do. But. Okay. We're. <laughs> we're still supposed to think that Joyce is in grave danger. Yes. So. Even though they know right away that they're alive and on the other side of it, they can hear them. I mean, it's not, I don't think there's a whole lot of suspense of, is Joyce dead? It's just, it's scary. It's scary that she could have died. Yes. Which wouldn't nearly make up for all the lives she's taken. No. Maybe they should have left her in there and Midsummer would have been safer. No one dies when she's in there. That's true. Yep. (laughs) No one dies when she's in Africa. Just saying. Except the man from Dakari. (laughs) Dakari. Before we get too deep in, I just uh, we need to set some some rules here because okay. we've got Tom and we've got Tom. No, we have Tom and we have Tom. Pause Tom. <laughs> Pause Tom. Because every time anyone says that name and they're referring to Tom, <laughs> it's Pause Tom. I'm going to call him Old Tom. Pause Tom. You can call him Pause Tom if you want. I'm Pause call Tom and Old Tom, Tom are the same person. Yes, because in my notes, I put TNT by, for Tom and Troy yes. pretty often. And as I, I went, was reviewing my notes and I realized, I was like, Tom's on the bridge. Tom's at Webster's. Tom is in the camp. Wait a minute. Which Tom? Well, Tom's got a fox. That would be Tom. Tom. <laughs> There's just a little beat. I'm just going to call him Old Tom. Troy, especially, does pause Tom. Yes, but I'm just going to call him Old Tom so that there's clarity. Okay, so Old Tom. I'll call him Old Tom, too. Thank you. That would probably help. Yep. Old Tom's on the bridge. And there's some yobs that we never see again. These yobs. No, those are the same yobs. No different yobs. They're in Daniel's car. I'm sure they're different yobs. They're the same yobs. I thought they, they were didn't different. pay for four extra yobs. Well, they didn't pay for good music, that's for sure. So, do you know what yob <laughs> means? <laughs> you told me, but I would like the listeners well, to know. Well, I mean, what do you think yob means? Well, yob is a ne'er do well young man around the village up to no good. Yeah, like an uncouth, antisocial younger person. That's what it means. Throws beer cans at runners. But what I was interested in is where it comes from. Yes. So I went to the OED, the, the, OED, Oxford, the Oxford English, English Dictionary. Dictionary, to find the first citation for yob. Yob. Turns out it, it originated in Australia, but probably from Brits who were sent to Australia. The first Criminals. citation for it in Britain is in the 30s in print. But it is a member of a group of slang words called backslang. Which is backwards talk. Yes, that costermongers in London used to use. To talk in code. Oh, okay. So it's boy backwards. Yob. Yob. And it's stuck around. I thought that was fun. I'm cram. <laughs> I'm harass. Nice <laughs> to meet you. So the yobs are in the car. We, we see Tom being stubborn for the first time. He's got his walking cane. Why does Tom go to town 
Why does old Tom go to town ever? Tom goes wherever he wants. I know he goes wherever he wants, but every time he goes to town, yobs. <laughs> Drawn to him like a magnet. Pause Tom He's and the, the yob magnets. Pause Tom <laughs> and the yob magnets. They wouldn't make very good music. I don't think they would be able to agree on anything. <laughs> and just pauses for Tom's parts. It's just silence. And then just Tom samples. Yeah. Yep. That's a bad thing. That's a bad. It's a wrong a thing. A wrong thing. Tom's played by David Bradley, who has been in everything. Yep. He's super good. He's a fantastic actor. But he plays that part. Yes. Right? He was in The Strain, and he played an old crotchety guy. Yep. He's in the Harry Potter movies. He's an old crotchety guy. He's in Hot Fuzz. He's an old crotchety guy. He plays Walter Frey in Game of Thrones. He's an old crotchety guy. Yep. But David Bradley is not an old crotchety guy. No. He's I, actually very funny. I watched a couple of interviews with him, and he's amazingly not old crotchety guy. Oh, that's good. And I actually found a picture of him young. Oh. Which I was like, wow, he actually was younger at some point. <laughs> no. Because you wouldn't think. He came out of the womb like that. Because he's looked the same for like 40 years. Yeah, he, definitely. He got old. He got older looking. And then he just stayed. I think this is probably the first place I saw him in. He was on Celebrity Mastermind oh. in 2013. Okay. So for American people, Mastermind is this British television show in which you answer questions in a very specific area of interest. That you choose. That you choose. So I remember the first Mastermind I ever watched. The guy's topic was t um, bar towels of Scottish pubs. Yeah. Like and they prepared like 50 questions. specific. And then there's a celebrity version in which you're always amazed. First of all, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that... Oh, I know that person. The contestants? Yes. Yeah. And then they ask wickedly specific questions and these celebrities are like... So either their topics are super lame and stupid or incredibly erudite and unexpected. Yeah. Would you like to guess what David Bradley's topic was on Mastermind? Okay, David Bradley's topic on Mastermind was dark champions of the 20th century. <laughs> no, his topic was one man named Max Wall. Okay. Who was an early comedic actor. Oh. I wonder how he did. He came in second. Oh, okay. Max Wall was in a movie later in his career that we have to find because the entire movie is about somebody interviewing a serial killer, like a suspected serial killer. And Maxwell plays the character of the suspected serial killer. And all he says is yes or no for the whole movie. Oh, that'd be interesting. To watch. It would be interesting. Yeah. But David Bradley, good actor. He does a really good job in this episode. Fantastic in Game of Thrones. Fantastic in oh, he's Harry Potter. So nasty in Game of Thrones. Oh, Ugh. nasty. Yeah. Well, he gets his comeuppance. Yes, he does. So, but he's a good guy here. So then we move to the cop shop with Tom, young Tom, just Tom, Tom. Barnaby, and Troy, who's nervous because he wants to know if he's passed his inspector's exam. And he has. He has. He's inspector. Everybody Troy. wants to know. 
wants to give him a job. And so we get that first like warm, glowy emotion from Barnaby going, oh, because he just looks genuinely proud. He totally has the, I'm so proud, look. John Nettles does such a good job. Yeah. In that scene and when he's upset about Joyce. And he's utterly convincing. And we feel all kind of warm and fuzzy about him too. But also like, oh no, that means that Troy's going to leave. Which is kind of what Tom's feeling too. Yeah, he's proud of him, but he's going to miss him. Old Tom's got a fox. He's got a jaunty hat and a real fox that isn't real sometimes. <laughs> it is kind of fun to watch those fox scenes and go, real fox, fake fox. Real fox, fake fox. I'm going to get picky here. Okay. In addition to the fake fox, there are two shots that are horribly done in this episode of foxes. Okay. They're out of focus. They're... They they look like they're cut out of nature documentaries. Yeah, and they look standard definition to the rest of the show being high definition. Yeah. And there's a shot like Barnaby like that too. I have to think there may have been some footage lost on this episode and they had to fill in some things because... Or they had to use the backup footage or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it never should have made... The TV. Well, then later the foxes make interesting sounds like. Yeah, the foxes are (laughs) really the foxes are quite a a good uh, part of the episode. And, you know, though we don't see it, there's a fox corpse. So it could be corpse of the episode. That's true. I didn't even have the fox on my list of corpses. Yes. We don't see it. though. Probably because all I could think about was Henry Cavill. So <gasps> Superman arrives. No, the, the Witcher. He's the Witcher. The Witcher. <laughs> he's he's Simon Mayfield. Yes, but he's Henry Cavill, twenty years old. Yes, most recently in The Witcher. He is but a child. He's so young. You're like, no, that's oh my gosh, that's that the is Witcher. Him. <laughs> well, and Henry Cavill is known for this gravelly voice. Yes. It almost sounds fake gravelly. In The Witcher, he's so. And in this, he's like. Hey, what are you looking at, mister? <laughs> I did a wrong thing. <laughs> I was rumpy pumpy in a car <laughs> with my friend's mom. Uh, okay, we'll get to that. It, no, so he he's in the car with somebody. We don't know who it is. We find out it's Lillian later yeah. doing the rumpy pumpy. And old Tom comes by and he jumps out of the car to yell at him. And his rumpy pumpy partner takes off and leaves him. I know. <laughs> I have in my notes, Superman must fly back to town. <laughs> I got, the Witcher got ditchered. <laughs> Our notes are funny. Superman roughs up Tom as Fox attacks. <laughs> News at 10. Joyce is rescued. So we never see who he's shagging in the woods, but we know it's Lily. Yeah, it's his friend's mom. Which is, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. She's anyway. pretty. Yeah. She's live. Back at the tunnel, Tom is upset. Yeah. He doesn't care about his suit. It's getting all dirty. And Cully does the head shake because she doesn't know. No. It's like genuinely sad. But then they solve the problem. They bricked in up five Joyce. minutes. <laughs> Rocks don't stop, Joyce. <laughs> you can't trap Joyce. Joyce makes it out and everyone claps and there's a nice handheld picture hand holding picture. yes they don't like clutch each other and make out or anything they just grip hands they're yeah. happy to be together 
But okay, so the rocks fall, trap Joyce and the other people. But what's on the other side? Apparently, because I did a lot of thought of this. Apparently, there's a number of people who are clearing out the tunnel. Yes. Then there's a space. Then there's the opening to the tunnel. Okay. And the cave-in happened, luckily, in that space. So there's room for them. Wait a minute. So you think the tunnel has collapsed further on and that's what they're clearing out? No, no, no. The tunnel has... Okay. So there's the entrance. Yes. Then there's parts of the tunnel. Yes. And then there's where they're clearing out the tunnel. Right. So they would be working where they cleared out the tunnel. Yeah. And somewhere between where they're working... And the entrance, the tunnel collapse. Yeah, yeah, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, what are they clearing out? The tunnel collapse. Oh, and so they think it's safe oh, to yeah. clear rubble oh, that oh. has already collapsed in a tunnel. Okay, it fell once. So because of that, it's never going to fall no, again. No, no, it's fallen twice already because it fell once to kill the people who are <laughs> trapped in the wall. The dead bodies. He then it collapsed again, and now they're clearing that out. Bus and then it, engineer. He knows what he's talking about. No, he's not a bus engineer. He's a tour bus owner. Tim <sighs> Webster owns Midsummer Tours, double decker buses. All I know is if Superman had his powers, Joyce would be out of there. Lickety split. The Witcher wouldn't have let that happen. No, he'd just grumble it. <laughs> so, what do you make of Lord Fitzgibbon? I like Lord Fitzgibbon, but there is not nearly enough backstory there because he's an appeal courts judge yeah, who has no money and a weird house and no wife. And like, what happened to him that he like, I'm assuming he's retired from the bench, yeah, but he should be loaded. No, not necessarily. Well, I mean, he should have enough. Yeah. But if he's a lord, he probably has a family home, like a, a country house. That that makes you broke immediately. As soon as you take possession, you're broke because you can't maintain him. My if idea, he's a bachelor, then he's got no kids to My idea do it. for his backstory was he was the, the middle brother, so he didn't inherit anything. He has a modest house, and he's a bachelor. Well, he's got a pretty big house, and yet he lives in one room. It's clear he lives in one room. He's got a bed in the corner. He makes tea in the fireplace. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to mind. No. He seems rather happy he, he about seems, it. He sure has a lot of man traps. Yeah. Do you know the difference between a man trap and a bear trap? Uh, no. There isn't one. Oh, okay. But there are a lot of videos on YouTube of idiots who think they're fast and strong testing themselves by punching the center of a bear trap and trying to get their hand out of the way first. Wow, that's a YouTube video of ouch. Oh, there are like 20 or 30 of them. Oh my gosh. Okay, don't do that. If you test yourself to see if you're fast enough to punch a bear trap and make a video of it, I realize you, you might be an idiot. That the demographics of our podcast are 70% female over the age of 45. So I don't think many of you are going to do it. But if you are, Mabel, don't. <laughs> Martha. <laughs> or if you're thinking about dating a man and he says, hey, look at this video I made, walk away. Yes. <laughs> so they find a bunch of bodies. 
Right, in the collapsed tunnel and behind the, a wall that's now fallen down. And this is all part of the crew. Constable Crab, Constable Crab and Sergeant Gill. <laughs> Constable Crab. <laughs> Constable Crab. Constable Crab? Does he live with SpongeBob? <laughs> and have Krabby Patties? It is hard to say. Constable Crab. Okay. Who's kind of crabby, too. Starting again. Constable Crab. As soon as Troy gets promoted, everybody's nasty to him. Including Sergeant Gill. Yeah, and Constable Crab. <laughs> and Sergeant SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> yes. And Patrick. Um, they're nasty Why to him. Why am I Midsummer? <laughs> but Constable Crab does have one of my favorite lines in this episode. He says... There's a surprising quantity of dead people in there. That's that's a great line. <laughs> that should be the subtitle of every midsummer. But in fact, the quantity is surprising because it goes from three to four to seven to eight. Yes. All those things. Really, there's nine because there's eight original in the cave in and then the ninth body. Probably ten, because you know Joyce probably killed somebody while she was in there. I mean, she's trapped. She's got nothing else to do. The it's darkness dark. was the worst. I couldn't see who I was killing. I just <laughs> killed everybody. <laughs> so Crab flags Troy down, and Troy feels gutted. Yeah. That he doesn't know that his governor's wife has been in this accident. Yeah, because he wants to be there. One of the skeletons is clearly a modern skeleton because it's got dental work. So though most of them died in the original collapse. Yes, the NHS feelings. Again, for our American listeners. That's National that's Health Service. When you have health care that the government takes care of. That your taxes pay for. Yes. Yeah. And everybody's treated well. Okay, Bernie. Sorry. You're so Canadian, Canadian. sometimes. Of all of the canals that Webster could have chosen, the tunnels he could have chosen to bring back to life, to fix up, make his name, why did he pick one that had already collapsed twice? I, I don't know. It's not like it's on his land. Yeah, it's weird. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that is is irritating to his wife, Lillian, too, who clearly hates his guts. It, it is a trope of the horrible marriage here. Yeah, it, Lillian, the bitchy wife, she's even coming out of the indoor swimming pool. We've seen that before, yep. right? Drinking, listening <laughs> Isn't to Isn't it a little early to drink? Yeah. <laughs> what, what does that lady say in the, the author's episode? It's, it's noon somewhere. It's noon somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Tom's talking to Webster. I, I wonder, I think... He probably would have known about, he, he knew about the whole project already, right? Because Joyce is volunteering yeah. and Cully's volunteering. Yeah. So I would think he, he might have even met him before. I almost feel bad for Webster. He's trying to do something. It's kind of quixotic what he's trying to do, but he's trying to do it. He is, but he comes across as a, as a jerk to Tom. Yeah. He kind of lords it over him, I guess. Yeah. I agree with that. I want to talk about something. Okay. The thing I want to talk about. Is a Midsummer episode? Where the hell is old Tom's camp? I understand why you want to know that. Explain. At one point, Fitzgibbon says it's an hour walk from here. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody, including Troy, the dogs, the yobs, the yogs and the dobs, and the fox all get there super fast. Okay, so 
back up a couple things. One, we know it's quite a distance because when Troy is trying to drive through Fitzgibbon's land to get to the camp, Fitzgibbon says, you can't get there from here. My it's roads are all away. overgrown. You're gonna and, and Troy says, last time I was out there, it was a 45-minute walk. Yeah. But then later, when it's a crime scene, there's just cars pulling up to it. Yeah, instantly. That's inconsistent. There, there is right. a problem as to where Tom's camp is. Also, Tom's camp is not... Like, okay, I understand Tom wants to live on the land and wants to be outside. Mm -hmm. Based on his life, I understand. He he wouldn't have built a structure by now. That's the point. He doesn't want a structure. He could have built a lean-to. He could sleep in one of Fitzgibbon's sheds. He doesn't want to. Yeah, He wants to be outside. I think he would have built a lean-to at least. I don't think so. I think he probably moves around based on the season. He doesn't need a hovel like in the other episode, but... You wouldn't want to sleep where he sleeps in the wintertime. You'd want to be more into the woods to get a break from the wind. So I'm sure he moves it around. Okay, we're going to just be very clear here. I would never want to sleep where he sleeps. Okay? (laughs) I have slept out of doors. You don't want to cuddle up with David Bradley? No. Old Tom? I like walls. Okay. I I like walls. I'd go sleep in the canal cave-in. I like I like comfy beds, so I'm not interested either. But poor Troy, though, trying to find him, you know, like it, it's it's as if they assume that um, old Tom moves around all the time, like his camp moves around every night, and it doesn't. No, the camp stays at the same. That's place. where you find old Tom. He yes. will eventually come back there. Yes. <laughs> so you know, Troy kind of waits out there for a little while and leaves a note or whatever, but you know, he's gonna come back. The other thing that bothers me about this episode is the Green Man pub has a sign outside that says the Green Man. If you don't know, Green Man's a folklore hero in England. They also have the same sign inside. Yeah, right inside the door, in case you don't know where you are when you're inside. don't know where you are. (laughs) You know, sometimes you get drinking and you get lost. Where am I again? Inside the pub. Oh, I'm in Nicotine Man. (laughs) Charlie Perkett picks uh, Troy as a copper right away. Because he's a, an old retired cop. He knows everything about what's going on already. You should go ask Lord Fitzgibbon. Now I have to tell you something about Charlie Burkett. Okay. He's played by Fred Pearson. There's not a lot in Fred Pearson's acting history that's notable. He's, he's not a great... He's been in Casualty. He's been in The Bill. He's, he's been in a, blah, he, blah, blah. He's a fine actor. EastEnders, he's not, whatever. He's not... He doesn't stand out. But he has one role okay. that will enshrine him for at least you and me. Yeah. He was in an episode of Misfits. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Let's just say Misfits is not for everybody. No, but the, for the people who enjoy it, Sweet Jesus but is a good But if you can show. remotely tolerate the first few episodes yep. and get past them, it is so worth it. It may be the best superpower superhero show of all time. Yes. That's, that's good. That's that's teasing them. They'll watch it now. It is. You should watch it. Anyway, but he's in one of our favorite episodes. He's the old Jewish guy who gets time travel powers and goes back to kill Hitler. Oh, that's and right. And loses his cell phone. He loses his cell phone. And so the Germans win the war oh, okay. and change the future. This show is bonkers. Okay. Fucking Hitler. <laughs> this show is bonkers. But... That is one of the best episodes, mostly because it may be like this is the most rude, vulgar 
superhero show but you're ever so going to see. smart. So smart and so emotional. Mm-hmm. Like, you weep openly while you're laughing several times. Yes, but he, he plays the key character in that episode that is so good. Yeah, that's such a good show. We should watch that show again. But I'm start at the beginning, people. Yeah. Because it won't make any sense to you, but it's so worth it. And you don't even like cheese. That's our Valentine's Day gift to you, Misfits. Misfits. If you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. Absolutely. We'll wait for you. Webster has a model of the canal on his little table. Yes. He's so proud of it. Yeah, there's a couple of weird shots where, like, Tom is looking through things. Yeah. And that's how the shots begin. Well, in the, in the model, the canal is... The tunnel is completely clear. There are no dead people in it. There's nope. just bright, sparkly blue water. Blue water. So I fell down this rabbit hole looking at canals yeah. in the UK. Now, I have to tell you, dear listener, we have a dream. And our dream is to go on a vacation in England and go on a canal boat for a few days. Yeah. Right? And It's beautiful. We've watched canal shows in Canal boat shows. We'd like to do it. And hell, I'd record a podcast while we're on the boat. <laughs> Man, right? So we're like immediately, oh, it's a canal. It puts a boat in it. Yeah. <laughs> but so Webster mentions this Sir Jonathan Hazlitt, who he claims designed this canal and this this tunnel. And that's why he um, wants to restore it because it's this great feat of engineering. As near as I can tell, Sir Jonathan Hazlitt is not a real person. Nope. I looked him up. He's not real. But I got to looking around at abandoned canal tunnels in the UK to see whether this kind of project is something that people actually undertake. Like sometimes they have episodes that are ripped from the headlines. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't find a lot of examples of um, tunnels being restored in that way. Most of the ones that are useful have been maintained instead. Okay. But I did find some awesome stories of canal tunnels in their heyday. Yes. That were just epic. So the heyday of the canal system in England, especially, happens in the late seven, uh, the late 18th century and early 19th century. Prior to trains. Prior to trains and telegraph. Right. And I found one example of a tunnel that was like seven miles long and had a wharf in the middle of it, so boats could turn around and get past it each other. It a bar in the middle of it. Yeah, really. <laughs> it would have been very dark. Welcome there. to the Green Mile. Yeah, see, there you need a sign that tells you where you are because it's so black. You. So, but the more the more I looked around, what I actually found was a lot of people talking about like urban exploration, or I guess it's not really urban, suburban, country, rural exploration in these abandoned canals, yeah, tunnels, and then a bunch of information about how they were built and all this stuff. And I'm ever so slightly claustrophobic, right? I just I just don't like tight spaces that I can't get out of. She's like Tom. Yes, I'm like old Tom. I got to be outside. Don't fence me in. And I found out, and, and I knew quite a bit about canal boats anyway, but I found out that in the early days, when they primarily used the canal boats to move coal from the mines, yes. the, the tunnels were very small because they were, they were built efficiently and cheaply, right, just to get stuff from one place to another. And so they used to be so tight that they wouldn't build a towpath inside the tunnel. So 
you would have a horse that walked along the canal and that actually he actually pulled the the boat yeah but when they would get to a tunnel the horse would have to go up and over the hill so one guy would take the horse up over the hill and the other guy would have to take the boat through the tunnel and these tunnels were so tight that they could lay on their back on top of the coal and use their feet to walk along the top of the canal to propel the boat. They called it legging. And just the thought of doing that makes me want to hyperventilate. I can't believe people did that. The darkness was the worst part. For miles. For miles. They did it. Yep. And no lamp because um, coal, hello. (laughs) You can generally walk a mile in about 15 minutes if you're in any sort of shape. So they would have been doing this... It probably would have been slower than a walking pace, I yep. would guess. I would say so, so. it would have been an hour and a half in a three-mile tunnel. Yep. Just on your back, just walking along the top of the tunnel, moving the boat along with your body. Smoking your pipe. Not. No. Because you'd die. Yep. <laughs> Not even enough room on the sides of the boat to jump off. You had to. You would have had to jump off in front or behind it. It was that tight. See, I what you told me about this, and I agree, it's hideously claustrophobic, but... If it, if it was me, I would have got out and pushed the boat. You would have fallen asleep. Be honest. You would have well, laid yes. on the top of the boat, yes. started legging, and then started snoring. That, that's true. And I, eventually another boat would have pushed you out I, the other I would end. Have, I would have fallen asleep. You're, you're correct. Why didn't they put ropes along the top so you could do hand over hand? I don't know. I mean, they did depress like every fifth brick, so it's almost like a ladder. So yeah. your feet would have, you know, a toehold to move along. But yeah, just the idea. And I saw an image of a guy doing it. It was just like, whoa. <gasps> uh. Yes. Ugh. Sorry, digression. Anyway, canals. Cool. Hey. Webster's son's name is Daniel. He's yes. one of the yobs. Who are going out <laughs> to shoot bunnies. And which sounds like a euphemism, but they're going out to shoot bunnies. They're going lamping. Yes. Which also sounds like a euphemism and isn't. No. Uh, in the U.S., we call it spotlighting. Yeah. That's what they call it in Canada, too. It's yeah. completely illegal here. It's super illegal. <clears throat> in the U.K., it's kind of ambiguous because the, lo- the laws primarily are against lamping using dogs. So you, you can't... What about coal lamping? <laughs> While you're legging? Yep. Um, upside down? So uh, what they're doing isn't illegal, but it's unethical. People yes. who are real hunters don't approve. Fitzgibbon doesn't approve, too. And Old Tom really doesn't approve. When, when Fitzgibbon's uh, gamekeeper, who was that played by again? Fitzgibbon? No, Fitzgibbon's gamekeeper. I don't know. Who's mentioned three times in the episode. Oh, he doesn't appear. But never appears. No, no. But he's, he's brutal. That's like a checkoff rule that you shouldn't do. Right. And Fitzgibbon makes a joke that every time he kills a teenage boy, we we, bury him in quicklime. There's no evidence. Yep. I made I made Fitzgibbon from Kentucky there. (laughs) (laughs) There ain't no evidence of the quicklime. My gamekeeper takes care of it. It's not what Fitzgibbon sounds like. No, he doesn't. He sounds (laughs) So the obs go out and shoot. Tom stops them, takes their gun away because they're cowards, throws it in the in the woods. That's a really tense scene. It is super tense. The kid, like, takes the rifle and points, like, they shoot a warning shot. Yeah. And you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Because it's midsummer. 
it, it Midsummer murders, I'm right? So, so it, I mean, it, I knew he wasn't going to shoot him when the first time I saw it because it wouldn't have been very mysterious if we saw who shot him. But I got to tell you, they're doing the wrong thing. It's a wrong thing. And let me tell you about the yobs. Well, just before that, in the weirdness that is episode weirdness that we've talked about before, I always get this scene and this tramp mixed up with the tramp from the episode with the hunt in it. Yeah, with the with the hounds. Yes, those two tramps, they should hang out. Well, Tom's not dead and the other tramp is, but they should they would have been best buds. Yeah. But no, because people who live in seclusion don't hang out with each other. That's true. <laughs> Go away. You can't have a pair of hermits. It doesn't work. What do you call a pair of hermits? You don't. So the Yobs, let's talk about who they are. We've already said that one of them is, is Henry Cavill. Yes. The Witcher. Um, he's 20 years old in this episode. Yes. So he's a little bit older than he's supposed to be, but not too much. Yeah. Uh, he, got, he got really lucky. He probably didn't think he was lucky at the time, but... I'm sure Henry Cavill looks back now and says, shoo, that was close. When Stephanie Meyer wrote the Twilight books. Yes. Edward Cullen, in her head, was Henry Cavill. Oh. And she wanted him for that part when they made the movies. Okay. But the director liked Robert Pattinson instead. Good. Shoo. Oh, Mm. darn. Like, he's so much better than that. Oh, yeah. I actually think Henry Cavill will... At one point, be Bond. He almost was already. Oh, really? They wanted him for, what is it, Casino Royale is the first one with... Um, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah. But they thought he was a little bit too young to be James Bond, so they went with Daniel Craig instead. Because he was in Man from U.N.C.L.E., which is basically James Bond. Yeah, he was really good in and that. He does a great job in that. He's the first non-American to play Superman. Yes, I can see that. And he has an eight-pack. Well, he does. Not a six-pack. He does. Apparently, very few people can actually achieve an eight-pack. Oh. It's like a genetic thing almost. Well, and he's in that hot tub in The Witcher. Man. Woo. Hot tamales. Hot tamales. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's one yob. Okay. <laughs> we got two more yobs. We've got Daniel Webster. Mm-hmm. This is Tim Webster's son. The killer. He's played by Mark Buckner. What's interesting about him his acting career, his credits just stop in 2005. I'm like, well, what happened to him? He's not dead. No. He's too young to be dead. Um, he left acting, went back to grad school, and he's now the CEO of a company called Investorly. Oh, okay. Investorly is an equity crowdfunding platform to help great high growth, good global good businesses from emerging markets find an international network of support and investment from both institutional and consumer investors. So... They're crowdfunding for businesses that originate in emerging markets, third world countries. Wow. So not that's pretty only, cool. He he has a brain. Yeah. And he has a heart. Yeah. I'd say so. That's not, that's not, bad. not in this episode. No. But he's the, the actor, killer. <laughs> the person behind it, Mark Buckner, he does. Yeah. Um, and then our third job uh is Stephen Curtis. Who is the worst. Just the worst. <laughs> he's the worst job. Yep. Um, he's played by Jamie Thomas King, uh, and the thing that's interesting about him is he's been in a Murdoch. Oh. He's in The Canadian Patient, which is a 2017 episode. 
Canadian patient. Mm-hmm. Like the English patient? Like the English patient. the Canadian patient? I don't know. I'll have to watch that one. It's another Murdoch crossover. Oh, we've seen it. Well, I know we've seen it. Yeah. But he doesn't have a whole lot of acting credits. He does a lot of stage stuff, but that was the interesting thing about him. Yes. So there's the Yobs. Now you know. Excellent. So Troy's also wandering the the forest, and he sees an owl. And that owl is beautiful. It is. It's really, it's a great actor, and it's really well shot. It makes me think of the owl in Labyrinth. Yeah. David Bowie has an owl. Troy just wants to know if Tom's okay. Mm-hmm. He's worried about him. And then he just disappears into the forest like the green man. He's magic. When they drop him off, it's really magic. Like there's just a deer standing there. Yeah. And then they just poof. Yep. Disappear. So let's get this straight. The Yobs then go to the green man. Mm-hmm. And they bother Charlie there. Mm-hmm. But the... The killer, the kid who's the killer, what's his name again? Daniel. Mm -hmm. He's not there. I double checked. Mm -mm. Because he's creeping back to the forest to get the gun. Right. And then he sends a text message pretending to be his mom doing a booty call. Yes. This is problematic. (laughs) (laughs) What's problematic about that? It's weird. He lures Simon out there thinking that he's going to go out and be with Lillian and then and it's he, Daniel waiting for him he, instead. He leaves a Superman trap on the Surprise! ground. Surprise! Yeah. One of Fitzgibbons, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we're led to believe because Fitzgibbon has a whole barn full of traps. Yep. <laughs> Quick line. And he gets shot right in the face. Does, right in the head. He's a little pissed off that they're bonking his mom. Yeah. I, uh, Daniel's got problems. That is not a justification, okay? No. It's a justification for being a little upset with your mom. Especially if your friends are teasing you about it. That's pretty uncomfortable. But we never see that. Get some new friends. Tell your mom to stop it. No, we're going to talk about stories we read as a child. His mom. In faraway land. Is uh, played by uh, Sherry Lungi. Yes. She's also in another episode of Midsummer called A Dying Art. Yeah. Uh, She plays Alexandra Monkford. Um, she's in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein movie. She plays his mom because Branagh plays Victor Frankenstein and oh, she yeah. plays his mom. Oh, she plays his mom. Even though she's only like six or eight years older than him. Oh, okay. I only ever saw that once at the theater. But the role that you remember her for is Guinevere and Excalibur oh, in 1981. Oh my, yes. The movie that is just covered in Vaseline. Every shot is this blurry, fuzzy. It's covered in a lot of. Glittery, gem, gold, sparkle, blur. Okay. First of all, all the army, all the armor is super shiny. Mm-hmm. And then all of the women are super naked. Yeah. And shiny. Yeah. Yeah. And Picard has hair. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Stewart's in it. And he plays like a swashbuckler almost. Yeah. He has hair. Is absolutely worth going to see, uh, seeing again. Excalibur is fantastic. I watched it easily ten times as a kid, and I will because of the naked ladies. Will, no, the armor. No, I like the armor. <laughs> um, and I will easily watch it again. Everyone is at eleven. Oh yeah, it is over the top, way all over the top, over the top and it is so fantastically bizarre. And you spend the whole movie going, oh, 
That's this person. Oh, yeah. <gasps> That's this person. You'll notice one person after another that yeah. you recognize. Absolutely. Yeah. So Daniel's luring his friends out into the woods with a promise of sex with his mother so he can kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Blech. I don't care how much your parents fight. That's not an excuse. Yeah. George has got the bones in the super tech morgue. He says that the modern skeleton was killed probably with an axe to the head. Yes. There's only one modern one. And we find out later, of course, that old Tom killed him because that's his dad. But where's Tom? Tom's in Research Dungeon. Yes. So is that supposed to be the newspaper archives or the village archives? Or is that Tom's basement? Or or the police archives? It's all... I don't know. He spends a lot of time down there. It's the research dungeon where (laughs) research montages happen. (laughs) Where where he just happens to find the notes from the, like the commission for the building of a tunnel or something like, and the newspaper archives. It is the Canal and Navigation Company Midsummer Canal Society recorded minutes. For the following months, June 1799, August 1799, September and October 1799. And in October 1799, it talks about a annual trade fair and that there's an inn opening. Um, They've done a really good job on these. They're stitch bound. They're actually uh, written with a quill pen. Yeah, They're, they're old fashioned. Yeah. For sure. I wonder if they're real. They could be, except for they say midsummer. Midsummer, yeah. Now, another thing they say, so the minutes have that all at the top, and then the first item of every meeting is apologies. Do you know what that is? Is that when they start out by saying who's not present? Yes. Apologies are from people who are unable to attend the meeting. They're noted at the beginning of the meeting notes and included in the minutes. I wish they included the reason why they weren't there, you know? Like Dave Wimple not present because of gout. Yeah. Or his mother is upset again. Yep. No, <laughs> none of those are there. So the other thing about the the research dungeon is nothing is cataloged or in order. It's just a bunch of old books. Big, How big does bound Tom records find anything? I don't know. I mean, they only have as many records as can fit in those two little alcoves in the wall. Yeah. It's not very big. So once the the living yobs find out that one of the yobs is dead, the witcher they're, is dead. They're, uh, they're crying little baby yobs then. They're angry and they want Tom blood. They want? Old Tom blood. Tom blood. <laughs> see, the listeners can't see you. Bug-eyed pause. Tom. Tom. <laughs> So they go trash his camp and they shoot his fox. They're they're sad teenagers. Assholes. They're upset. They're I don't care. They kill the fox. Their friend has been shot in the head. Now never mind that the fox probably has rabies and would eat them, like would bite them in a second and probably make them really sick. And never mind that Daniel is one of those angry, sad yobs and knows full well that he's the one who killed Simon. Oh, Why is he even pretending to be angry at all? He's the Tom? angriest because he pretends to be angry. Well, Tom has something to say. A death for a death. Death for a death. They burn the camp. Poor Tom, the 
purposely home homeless guy is now really homeless because even his dented teapot is burned. Yep. Webster and Lillian argue, blah, blah, blah. And Troy has to arrest Tom because he was one of the last people seen with the gun. Well, and he says he doesn't remember what he did with it. Yeah. Like, they saw him throw it into, into the woods, but he says he doesn't remember. How can you not arrest him? And Daniel Casey does a great job of acting here where it's like... He's torn. Yeah. He doesn't want to hurt Tom, old Tom, and he knows that he probably isn't responsible, but how can he not bring him in? And since old Tom keeps hiding, he has to arrest him. He can't just ask him to come in to be questioned. And plus, Yob Dad really is against him. Oh my gosh. That's one angry jerk Yob Dad. I'd call him Yob Dad with dad backwards, but dad backwards is dad. So <laughs> he's Yob Dad. So just pretend I'm saying dad backwards. That's Stephen Curtis's dad. Yeah. And yeah, he's something else. He's got big hairy nostrils. <laughs> he is just the worst. And his wife wants to like force feed the orange juice constantly. Yeah. she's She looks like she's been crying for a week. Well, yeah, because I bet you the witcher's been witching her too. <laughs> well, and... Uh, when she looks like she's been crying for a while, that's after their son is killed. Yeah. So, of course, she's upset. Yeah. And the dad's like, well, what is there to do? You don't even have to talk to anybody. Just arrest that one guy. Obviously, he did it. Like, you don't need any evidence or any investigation or whatever. It's just that guy. Like, no, wait. Yeah. Because their friend did it. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I mean, so we've got these two kind of parallel cases, right? So Troy, who's now Inspector Troy, Inspector is, Troy is responsible for deaths in the modern age, while Tom is investing the historical death of Eric Edwards in 1968. Yes. Which is just the longest time ago ever. I wasn't born yet. You weren't either. Pretty close. You were a twinkle in your mom's eye. She's telling you I'm a 60s baby. But you weren't born yet. Yes. And Burkett is the one who knows all about it, right? Because he was like a constable in the village at the time. And so he he knows all about the Edwards case. They get a letter from Australia. So they get to pretend yep. that he's alive and he's just gone away. But, you know, he hasn't. And then Webster screams at Cully. Yeah, which I thought happened way earlier in the episode. Well, he's brusque with her all the time. He's never yeah. satisfied with what she's doing. And she comes out and says to Daniel, I think your dad just fired me from a job I volunteered for. Yes. And it's like, well, if you went and got a, a real job, Cully, that wouldn't happen. But okay. <sighs> Poor Cully. So he gives her a ride into town. So now instead of Joyce hanging out with murderers, it's Cully hanging out with murderers. Yes. Troy's so upset about trying to find old Tom that he hits Tom's Tom Barnaby's side mirror because he's a bad driver. Hardy har har, that old joke. Yeah. Um, and Burkett gets a mysterious phone call. Who calls him? It's Fitzgibbon who calls him. Yeah, because they know about old Tom. Yes. Right? They know old Tom killed his dad and is kind of broken. So he's Eric Edwards' son. Mm-hmm. And that's when Steve gets the text and goes out to have Rumpy Pumpy with Lillian, but actually gets Rumpy Pump actioned in the head by Daniel. Yes. <laughs> Rumpy thought, Pump action. I thought that was funny. Yes. So now Steve's dead. So we got two yobs down. Two yobs down. Yep. 
Well, the other Ob's the killer, so really we're all at Yob's down. When they send the dogs after old Tom, it's sad. It is. But he won't come in. Like, if he, dude, if you'll just come in and talk, this is not going to happen to you. And David Bradley does such a good job of being, like, proud and kind of crotchety and independent, but he also does a good job of being vulnerable and old. Yeah. And they put just enough blood on him to make him look, you know, not like mortally injured, but but kind of beat up and you feel you just feel bad for him. You do. Even indeed. if he does have a big padded sleeve that the dog is grabbing. Yeah. It's just like, oh. But then they put him in the most dramatic interview room we've ever seen in a midsummer. It's got like one light, one bare light bulb. Dun dun dun. The edges of the room are in darkness and when Troy is talking to, oh, that, that jerky cop, um, oh, Sergeant Gill, who appears in another episode, by the way. Oh, he does? Yeah. Sergeant Gill? Sergeant Gill, who razzes Inspector Troy. They're in there together, and it's just so, I don't know why it's so dramatic, but they, they light it funny. Maybe to make it feel even more claustrophobic, so that we understand why Tom is kind of losing it. Maybe. So Tom then finds a picture of Eric Edwards. Yes. And shows it. Who looks like somebody Tom. who should be in Foghead. <laughs> but he does have a little bit of a resemblance to old Tom. Yeah. I, the first time I saw it, I thought, I wonder if that's actually David Bradley from the 60s. Or David Bradley's dad. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be old enough. No, it wouldn't. So. No. So we know that old Tom says he went away. He didn't come back. He couldn't. Yeah. Because he was dead. And now Barnaby has to confront Fitzgibbon and Burkett and say, okay, you two know what happened. And they, they basically come clean. And it's great because Tom is stuck mm -hmm. because he knows who killed Eric Edwards now. But he understands ethically that Tom shouldn't go to jail. And since he's working the case alone, he doesn't have to. No, he totally lies to Troy. He's again. not setting a bad example for Troy. No. Nope. Showing Troy that you shouldn't always follow the law. Because he even tells Fitzgibbon, you know, it's a slippery slope and you know it. Yeah. But he makes that decision on his own and he doesn't have to worry about explaining that to anybody. No. Nope. It's an old guy's decision. Yeah. I think you're overestimating the peace you've given Tom down the years. Yeah. Like you're not, you haven't helped him as much as you think you have. So does, does Daniel have a collection of phones now? He does. Because he's got Simon's phone and then he's got Steve's phone yep. and he's got the unregistered phone that yes. he uses to make the text messages and he's got his own phone. There's a telephony problem here. Okay. The telephony problem is that the Yobs have been calling Lillian for mm -hmm. months mm -hmm. and talking to her mm -hmm. and texting with her. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they get a call, a text from another number, mm -hmm. which, okay, Lillian clearly doesn't care about this, these affairs being noticed. Right. So you'd think when they meet her in the woods, they'd say, oh, I wasn't sure it was you since it came from that other number. And she'd go, what? Or something like that. Yeah. Right. But well, he, I guess that doesn't happen because they get shot. They get shot. <laughs> They never actually see her in those cases. But so. they also like are like just like, oh, well, I guess you got a new phone. I guess I'll just run out into the forest and have rumpy pumpy. Okay. They are supposed to be like 18-year-old yeah, boys. They are. So they are, but, they'll do really stupid things for sex. But I'm there's sorry. a problem there. 
that I didn't like. I have no problem with it because I think they would totally do it. I think if she was sending smoke signals or Morse code, they'd probably still come. So they find out that Lillian's been calling them. So they go to the Webster house to talk to Lillian. And she's dead. And you have the saddest scene of sad scenes. Yeah. Because we don't like Webster, but his wife didn't deserve to die. And it's implied in that scene that she shoots herself. Right. Because that's how Daniel makes it look. Yeah. So that's and, it. And if you're, you know, her husband and you guys are constantly <sighs> bickering, then you would feel bad that she killed herself. Yeah. Like, like it's my fault, you know? But not as bad as you'll feel when you realize that your son actually did it. Because she was bonking his friends. And killed his friends. <laughs> Like, wow, that's so bad. And Cully goes to talk to Daniel because she feels sorry for him. Yeah. But then he confesses to all the murders and we've got the, you know, the classic midsummer scene where Tom realizes that his wife or his daughter are actually with the killer. But it's Troy that figures it out. Yeah, he does. But of course, I don't because care. Because he's an inspector now. I so don't he's care smarter. what's happening in that scene because I'm obsessed with 3D pipes. <laughs> the screensaver on the computer? The screensaver from Windows 95 is on one of the computers, and I'm like, nostalgia zone of 3D pipes. Is it from Windows 95? I think it's Windows 95. Because that would be pretty old, because isn't that, what year is this film? It's 2003. That's pretty sad if they're still using Windows 95. I, th I think, I, I, I was trying to look as to what version of Windows it Maybe was Maybe they in. had it for a little while longer than that. Oh, they did have it in Vista, too. Oh, which that explains We've it tried then. to scrub from our brains. That's so true. It was in it Windows 98, Windows 95, and Vista. Vista's so. like New Coke yes. or Crystal Pepsi. It just, you just, it's just bad. Just forget about it. We, we missed one tiny little scene. We just went over it really quickly. The scene where Troy runs into Tom's car and then bitches. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait a minute, you hit me. <laughs> it's just a wild goose chase. And then we get the little, nice the little nice dinner scene at the table. This is Troy's last episode. And there's a cake. Yes. It has Middlesbrough FC on it. Because mm -hmm. that's where... Tom is going, uh, Troy is going. Right. Now, Middlesbrough is a real place. Right. Middlesbrough FC is a real football team. Mm -hmm. They have, were established in the year that it says on the cake. Mm -hmm. And Troy, and they totally make fun of him for being, going up north again. To Yorkshire. Yes. That's where Middlesbrough is. Yeah. We know that Midsummer is near Oxfordshire. Yeah. Right. Wherever it is, it's somewhere close to there. So it's a three-hour drive, three-and-a-half-hour drive. Oh, my gosh. We'll have to pack two lunches. Or a seven-hour train ride. Oh, my God. What? How does it take seven hours to get there? You actually have to go south before you can go north to get there via the trains. Oh, okay. That's... Uh, trains are supposed to be faster than cars. I know. I looked into Yorkshire because they say all this stuff about, oh, is that your southern slur accent coming out yeah. or whatever? Like... I was like, how, how different can they sound in Yorkshire? Yes. <laughs> and I knew that I had heard a Yorkshire accent before, but I get it mixed up with like the Wilkshire, the, the Southwest accent. Yes. It's not that they sound alike, but I just forget which is which. Yeah. 
Yorkshire accents sound much more Scottish. Yes. And so I, I, I did a little digging around into Yorkshire slang. Yes. <laughs> okay. I want to say this sentence, but I'm embarrassed because I think I know I'm going to say it wrong. Okay. If you're from Yorkshire, please excuse us. I'm sorry. I et a minky buddy, so I'm off to bog to chuck my guts up. Okay. So that's you ate something bad. A bad sandwich. Bad sandwich. So you're off to the bathroom to throw up. Mm-hmm. Me gaffer twerk, give me a dollop of something keddy. Now I'm jiggered. Uh, somebody <laughs> made you sick, and now you're in bed. My boss, gaffer. Yeah. Twerk at work. Yeah. Give me a dollop of something keddy. Yep. Rancid. Now I'm jiggered, so I'm tired out because it was bad. I'm One- not chuffed. <laughs> hey, by gum. A by gum. <laughs> you have to drop the H's. And I just, I have trouble doing it. I'll belch you if you don't stop beefing. Meanwhile, Tom, old Tom, is there with the owl in the pups? He's chuffed. He's, he's chuffed. But the baby foxes make a weird sound. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best body? Simon, Steve, Jillian, or the fox? I'm going to say Jillian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go Simon. Okay. Because he's got his leg in a bear trap. And it, Jillian's challenge is she has to be dead while being cuddled. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah, that's true. But it also kind of can hide some sins there. Yeah. If you're breathing or something. I guess. <laughs> what happens after the credits? Uh, Daniel goes to jail. Jaily jail. Like... Forever jail. Yeah. I'd say old Tom is quite happy. I'd say Fitzgibbon and and, um, Burkett are fine. Joyce is never going to go in a tunnel again. No. (laughs) And the Curtises, well, she's just going to cry some more and he's going to be a jerk. Yep. And uh, Troy's going to go off to uh, Yorkshire. Well, I think Fitzgibbon and uh, Charlie Burkett are going to relax a bit Mm -hmm. because they've been keeping this secret for a long time. Yeah, I agree. And the landlady's going to go on having no name. True. Yeah. So it's a it's not a bad episode. It's a fun episode. It's an emotional episode. It the the moment with Troy and Tom at the end is is sad. Well, and the moment with them at the beginning is touching. Yeah. And the moment when Joyce is trapped is touching. And the moment where he drives into his car. They're touching. <laughs> and and what made one of our kids cry watching it? is that the kid got the impression that old Tom laid down by the fire at the end and died. Yeah. No, I was no. like, no, 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 no. He's fine. He's, he's happy. He's happy. He's content. It's all good now. That's why there are babies there. I would, I'd, I'd like Tom to get some help. Yeah. You, he you, doesn't, think, you think the social workers should come and visit old Tom? No, like just like... Fitzgibbon should pay for a therapist who comes out into the forest and sits down and talks to Tom. I think old Tom is fine. Okay. If he was half his age, yes. But he's old enough now. He's, go- he's content. Okay. I hope he gets something good to eat. Yeah. He must be a vegetarian. It's got to be. No, he says you can kill if you eat it. I wonder if he eats the fox. Anyway. <laughs> no, they stuff it and use it earlier in the episode. Exactly. So Troy is gone. This is the last Troy episode. So Troy, who I thought was in a million episodes, is only in 29 episodes. So Daniel Casey did an interview 
where he talked about his favorite moment. Oh, okay. Specifically the murderer that he liked best. What is the murder that he likes the best? The He says, my favorite murder was death by drinks cabinet. That was hilarious. He opened the cupboard and the drinks cabinet collapsed on him. That's genius. Yep. And that was in an interview in Saga. Yeah. So he liked that moment. And in another interview in, I forgot that note. Um, I think it's in The Guardian. They interviewed him, and and he said he just liked all the moments where he and Barnaby had banter between them. Those yeah. were his favorite times because yeah. he he and John Nettles were very close and they got along yeah. very well. And he just he didn't. There's nothing wrong with the show. He didn't have a problem with it. He just wanted to move on. He I just think wanted he, to do different things, and he, he has gone on to do yeah, different things. He, he wanted to do. I think he wanted probably more leading parts, and he he moved on. There's only so much you can do with a sergeant. Unless they're growing and evolving, he would be kind of stunted. Yeah. So it just made sense. And then we, you know, we see, get I think variety. that's the problem they've run into with Murdoch, not to go off on a tangent. Yeah. Is no one progresses. Yeah. Nobody gets promoted. Yeah. We got lots of favorite Troy moments. Absolutely. Uh, the social media has been out of this world with this. Absolutely. Um, one of the big moments that keeps coming up and again is something we haven't talked about because this is Troy's last episode in which he is in the show regularly. Right, because he comes back for Cully's he, wedding. He comes back for Cully's wedding when Cully does, marries not Nico. Right, Simon. Yes. Um, lots of people like uh, him and the lady in the Bell Ringer episode, the cougar. Oh, that that is a funny situation for him because she... Really puts him. Yes, Rosalind Parr. Yeah, like Absolutely. he does not know how to deal with that, and I think that's funny. Uh, where he plays the spoons is big. Yeah, and takes Cully to the adventure course, snogs her, and finds a dead body. Yes, they get the one kiss. I know a lot of people wanted those two to get together, but I don't think that would have worked long term for the show. No, I don't think so either. But it was nice and cute. So we had one person who, a regular contributor to things that we talk about, uh, who is like, wait a minute, you guys are recording on, on Valentine's, Valentine's Day? Day? That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite moment for Troy is when he's in the bookshop with the, the two gay guys. What episode is that? That is not written in blood. It's the one with Amadeus. Yeah, the one with Amadeus. Third or fourth episode. Because again, when he when he's uncomfortable, he's awesome. So anybody yeah. who puts him in a weird situation that he doesn't know how to deal with, he calls them arse bandits. Death later. in disguise. Thank you, death in disguise. I can never remember the the titles of the episodes. I like that scene because he's like, uh, he, you know, he sold me a, a diary for the same year or whatever because he's trying to buy his mom a gift. Yep. Um, and he winds up buying her a car vacuum. And Tom says, she doesn't have a car. And he goes, well, she can use it for cushions or something. Like, they just so discombobulated him, he didn't know what to do with himself. Yes. You know? And I like that. I, there's two parts in Electric Vendetta I really like with Troy, uh, where, first of all, he he sees the combine hiver, harvester and thinks it's, it's a, a, UFO. a UFO. And then there's Bin Man. Bin Man. Bin Man. Bin Man. Yes. If you haven't listened to our episode for uh, the, Ven the Electric, Electric Vendetta, Vendetta, we have a little uh, song yeah, that we uh, A Bin made. Man song. A Bin Man song. <laughs> 
I can't believe it hasn't rocketed to the top of the charts. Yes. Come on. Come on. It's awesome. Folks. So Daniel Casey that. is done. Yes. Oh, Troy. So, but you know what? He's moving on to better things. He is indeed. And now we have Scott's first episode, which is Bad Tidings. Before we get to that, remember you can find us all the time on Twitter and Instagram and email. Uh, we're at Midsummer Maniacs. We also post on Facebook groups the Midsummer for Midsummer and Acorn and the subreddit and anywhere else where we find some maniacs. I found some really awesome Midsummer tumblers this week. We yeah. may have to post some links. There's some really good Midsummer tumblers. If if you haven't explored that, you should go <laughs> explore that. Yeah. So Bad Tidings is the episode that starts with the Spanish night out, mm-hmm. the fancy dress night. It's never a good thing to participate in any kind of village activity. Oh. You are going to get killed. Yep. And uh, oof, Scott's first episode is a tough one. Yes, it is. He, he makes a couple of uh, jokes about how everybody's dying. Yeah. <laughs> the jokes that every viewer makes. Yeah. He makes. So thank you all for uh, contributing to the your Troy's favorite moments. We all miss Troy. We all love him. I'm, I'm a Jones man myself, but uh, T- Troy is a close second to Jones. You never forget your first sergeant. Yes, you never forget your first sergeant. <laughs> All right, so until next time, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. I threw you <laughs> off with that. No, it was just like, I don't know what to say about that.